So, <laughs> but I just want to read the first eleven verses of the fifteenth chapter of First Corinthians, which we've already talked on a few weeks ago. But I want to read it again to set the stage for today. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He uh, appeared to uh, Cephas and then to the twelve, and then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Let's pray as we begin this. Father, we thank You for Your giving us Your Word that we may share in it, that we may use it, Lord, to understand You, and to use it, Lord, to enrich our lives. We ask as we share in the Word this morning that Your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, Amen. Children are dismissed. You may be seated. As we've been going through 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, as it is shared here in the opening, uh, this, the picture is that, that Paul is addressing the gospel and the resurrection to the people in Corinth. They have uh, apparently allowed some teaching to sneak into the church uh, that's more of, of old-time Corinth pagan religions and the sense of... of uh, uh, well, eventually it became Gnosticism. But the idea of that is, is that the body in itself is, is inherently evil, uh, decadent. Uh, it's, it's, uh, once it's disposed of, the spirit goes on to something else. And, and so the bulk of the uh, Corinthian population were accustomed to that way of thinking. And they come into this and Paul say, no, there's a... There's a physical bodily resurrection, and they're they're saying, "Wait a minute, no." And they might, some of them may have come to the point. In fact, probably many did, where they would accept that Jesus had been physically resurrected, but they couldn't see how the uh, the people as a whole, the body of Christ, the believers, would be universally resurrected. And so, this is what Paul's addressing in this chapter, and. Uh, he makes no bones about it. Again, he says, you know, Christ, is, you know, he died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And that picture of raised is the idea of bodily raised. It was a physical bodily resurrection. And then he goes on and says, like as I read, there were witnesses. They, they ate with him. They talked with him. They touched him. They, you know, he was, he was physical. It was, it was real. Uh, it was a new body. It was had uh, new things that uh, an earthly body uh, can't do. Uh, he showed up into a room that had all the doors locked. 
Okay, and, and so we say, how is that possible? Some of the people would say, well, that was because he was spirit. No, again, remember, they could touch him. He ate food. He was with them. Uh, they knew it was physical. And so there's something you know new about this resurrected body that we just don't completely understand and still don't. Uh, but Paul wants to make sure they understand that, that, that the body of Christ, the church, is going to be resurrected with Christ. And in verse 20 of chapter 15, he says, Christ has been raised. Period. It's, it's, it's His resurrection. And, uh, and, and He is, you know, His physical and bodily resurrection is the proof that He will be able to keep His promise of resurrecting the church. Now, Paul continues to deal with some key questions that the, these skeptics in Corinth might have. And the, these questions are brought forth in verse 35. But some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Now, you notice I'm putting a little sarcasm to it. Because I believe that was what the intent of their questions were. Because they were thinking, a body dies, is buried, and it decays. It decomposes. Uh, Corinthians, uh, they, they used, uh, a lot of their religions uh, used op- uh, above-ground tombs. Uh, and it was not uncommon as part of their practice to go to uh, worship their ancestors, and they they knew what decaying bodies looked like and smelled like. And they said, you know, that's that's what what happens. The body goes into the ground, and it and it decays. And and you could throw out some other uh, things. Uh, what, what happens if a if a person is lost at sea, and uh, and their body is never retrieved? Well, it's going to decay, and 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 maybe spread over the ocean, you know. Uh, what about uh, in the people who have been, you know, died in fire? Some uh, commentators brought up the fact of, of cremation as to, you know, do we cremate, do we not cremate, and all that kind of stuff. That's not going to bar God from putting things back together. That's what the, the argument centers on. Well, we need to put the body in the you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and some people, though, they, they'll, you know, I've conducted a few services where the, the, the ashes were scattered in the, in the river water. Where does the river water run? It runs down to the sea. It goes, you know. So their question is, how is God going to gather all these molecules, atoms? And by the way, you know, they did understand some of that in the, in the Corinthian culture. There was science at that point coming forth across that. And, and they're just saying, how's God, God going to gather all the pieces back together? It's, it's an impossible task. So, Paul wants to make sure that they understand the sovereign God of all creation who spoke things into existence is more than capable of reassembling our our bodies in 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 any way that he chooses, and he's he's not limited by our earthly concepts and 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 observations. So he's dealing with these questions: How are the dead raised up? 
and what kind of, of body will they have? And uh, he, uh, the answers that he gives start in verse 36. So let's read verses 36 through 41. You foolish person. Now the word foolish here could be ignorant, actually. You ignorant person. You know, you, you're a person who doesn't understand. And it wasn't used with the intent of a slam. He wasn't calling them fools. Okay? He was just saying, you're, you're expressing ignorance here. You don't understand. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For all, who, uh, and, and then he goes on to another picture here. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind of for humans, and another for animals, and another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, and for stars different, uh, are different from different stars. You know, there's differences in stars uh, in, in their glory. He's drawn together, though there could be three separate paragraphs here, theoretically. He's drawn together some examples of God and what He has done in, in the sense of, of, of putting things together. The first thing is he uses a farming illustration, if you will. Or anybody here who's a, a gardener and likes to you know, put their, their gardens in, what, let's say, some point in May, and, and uh, hopefully they get some, you know, well, they'll always get the squash. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, uh, well, it's true. You know, the squash has its own way of multiplying. I don't know how that works, but I know that we put out a basket of squash by the the, the uh, uh, corner of the, our fence, uh, and you know said free. And the next morning there was a second basket there. So, uh, you know, uh, but anyway, the idea is is that what what Paul's saying is is that there's a procedure. You take a seed. It doesn't look like a stock of corn. It doesn't look, you know, like a tomato plant. It doesn't look. You take the seed and you put it into the ground. The seed must die. In other words, it, it decomposes basically and, 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 and becomes even nutrient partially for the, the, what, the plant that comes up. And the next thing you know, you've got that little green sprout coming out and you're going out there and, you know, watering it and whatever. But the idea is that. You know, the seed must go into the ground. It, it, it is, it's something that dies to bring new life. And so he's using that as a picture of the resurrection. The body must die and then bring forth new life. Uh, he, and he makes a really interesting point here. He says, God has chosen what each sealed seed yields. In other words, in God's sovereignty... He has decided what the seeds are going to yield. You can't plant a tomato seed and, and, and ask for corn. 
You know what I mean? It's 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 it, it's a predetermined what that seed is going to produce. And I was thinking, you know, that's that Paul is what he's doing is he's drawing us back to to Genesis and 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 uh, where he writes, and God said, "Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their uh, in which is their seed." each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. Each according to its kind. God in His sovereignty has put this together. This is the procedure. This is how life works. And so, the seed is buried. The plant is yielded. And, and so, uh, then He turns and He says, He uses another example. You know, in God's way of putting things together, he has made different kinds of flesh. There are humans, and then there are animals, and and then and then there's birds, and then there's fish, and and each reproduces according to its kind. Again, you can go back to Genesis and and read that same uh, idea. And then he says, even even if you look into the heavens, there is a uniqueness. Of the of the heavens, there's the sun, and and as far as the earth is concerned, it serves a very specific purpose. Not only day and night, but the heat that raises the plant, for that matter. Okay, so there's the sun, the moon. The moon serves as a different function. By that time, they had figured out tides and and all of that, and the moon cycles, and they realized, yes, it, it has a lot to do with this. The moon has its function. And then there's the uh, the stars, and even as you look at the heavens and the stars, some are brighter than others. They have more glory. That's the idea of brighter than others. All of this under the sovereignty and authority of God. He's the one that has decided. God chooses how all things are put together, and for what purpose they serve, and what they will produce or reproduce. Now, in verses 42 through 49, Paul applies these parallels, I guess you would call them. You know, the idea of, of, of what God has done over here, he's going to apply now to uh, man. Verse 42. So it is with the resurrection. In other words, the resurrection. These are, and understand, these aren't supposed to be exact, you know, exactly the way things happen. You know, they were to be parallels, ways of looking at how God has put things together and how they work. And so it is with this. He says, so it is with the resurrection. By the way, just that very statement. So it is with the resurrection, having established that God is sovereign over all of this, tells you He's sovereign over what. The resurrection. God is free to do it His way however He chooses. And if He can put all of this together, certainly, implied here, certainly He can take care of this. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. 
It is sown a natural body or an earthly body. It is raised a spiritual body or a heavenly body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, or what Paul also refers to as the second Adam, would be Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also uh, are all, uh, or are of the who. <laughs> so also are those who are of the dust, referring to humanity. And as is the man of heaven, so also are all those who are of heaven, or who are believers. And then he sums it up quite succinctly here. He says, "Just as we have borne the image of man of dust." we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What he's using as his example here is that we're all of Adam. Adam, we, because of Adam and, and, and sin and the fall, we all are, we come into life and we will all go into death. What are the wages of sin? Death. Physical death and spiritual death. God comes in and redeems us and He actually conquers both. But physical death is conquered in the resurrection. Spirit, and, and, you know, in that sense of a new body. And so he says what happens here is what is buried, what of man is buried, he says, you know, his body is sown in death and it will be raised in life. What is, what is sown is perishable. That's a, a, you know, a good picture of a, you know, perishable. It's, it decomposes. But what is raised will be imperishable. There's a real contrast for you. What is sown is this earthly... Paul has another picture for us in, in, in the second Corinthians. He calls these bodies a tent. I think I've mentioned this before through this series. You know, and, and the idea of a tent is a temporary dwelling. By the way, Paul was a tent maker. He knew what he was talking about in reference to tents. And 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 I always use this picture. Um, those of you who are my age and older. Uh, there's a few of you that might be older than me in here. I'm thinking about it. Uh, that the the old tents we had in the you know, growing up were the canvas tents with the pole umbrella in the middle, and you know you you had to lay the tent out, stake it, and then you go climb into the you know the, on your hands and knees and get the pole part one of the pole in, and then hook up the next one, put the pole up, and then the arms into the sockets and all that kind of stuff that it had. And you had to be really careful. And I can always remember, you know, raised in, in, in the area that I was in Santa Barbara, it wasn't unusual to have fog come in at the night, even up into the San Inez Valley where we might go camping, and everything gets damp. And here you go, touching the... And it leaks. You know, and, and the reprimand that goes with that. 
And uh, but eventually the tent uh, would you know start to weaken around the zippers and 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 the flaps that that tie and stuff like that with the weight. And there's a little tear. You couldn't just sew that. It wouldn't it wouldn't hold. And and you couldn't just take a piece of of canvas and sew it on. You had to go to the 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 sporting goods store and buy a packet that had pre-shrunk canvas and you would sew a bigger patch, a fairly big patch for a small tear so that it would get past the part that was was weak and you might get another couple of years out of it before it finally gives up and it just can't be repaired anymore. Now, the reason why I go through that much of of, of an explanation is that that's what our bodies are. How many you know repairs can it you know take? I and and uh, you know I'm counting. Let's see, two heart surgeries, two back surgeries. Uh, <laughs> you know how you know how long is it gonna you know what's it gonna take to to before it can't be repaired anymore? And then it gives up. And so Paul says, then we are given a new body. That's imperishable. So this tent is perishable. It's it's it is not. It has has no qualities of eternalness, eternal eternity in it. Our soul, the spirit of who we are, the essence of who we are, our character, our our essence of our very being, it's eternal. But the tent is not. And what God has prepared for us. For all who confess Jesus Christ is an imperishable tent that dwells with Him forever. So that's the picture Paul's trying to create to the the to the, the Corinthians. So he says, so what is perishable is 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 what is sown, and what is raised is imperishable. What is perishable, uh, what is sown is is sown in dishonor. What he means there is, uh, is it's sown in the sense that. It's the corrupted body. It's the sinful body. And there isn't any of us in here who can say that that doesn't exist in us. You know, we all have sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There is dishonor in that sense. The fact that Jesus Christ has covered us is outside of the picture of the, of, of the parallel example that he's trying to drive here. What is risen or what is, is raised up is the body in glory. In other words, free of sin. By the way, all that sin does to the body is gone. It's buried in its weakness. It can't save itself. And it's raised in its power because God has saved us. It's, 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 uh, the natural body is, is, is gone. The, the spiritual body is raised. And so, basically, there's kind of an if-then implied here. If this is true, then something else, you know, becomes the. We can look at something else and, and look at another example here, and it's in forty-five through forty-seven. Verse forty-five again. It says, "The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a living, a life-giving spirit." Living being, Adam, and a life-giving spirit, Christ. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. 
and then the spiritual. We don't get to go and 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 pass everything and, and go directly to go and, and start over again. We you know we have to you know go through the process. What is natural is first, and then what is spiritual comes. The first man was from the earth. Now go back and read it. What was what was Adam made from? Yeah. So he's from, and he says God puts it very succinctly because of sin. He says, "From dust you have come; from to dust you will return." The first man was born of the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. A supernatural person. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. That is all of us. All of us. And so he's telling the the Corinthians, all of you fit into the category of first Adam. Period. You're going to be buried in... And by the way, Paul is not arguing that the body doesn't decay. (laughs) In fact, he says it does, basically. So, because it's it's perishable. So, as was the man of dust, so are those all of you, basically. Uh, And as the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. In other words, if you are a believer, you have the hope of Christ's bodily resurrection. And He's proven... Christ is, he says, it's a fact. He's risen from the dead. And because of that, we can rest with confidence when he says, you will be raised. Um, I I just thought of a scripture here. Um, John chapter 6. I know I've got it marked here. It is. For this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. That's a promise made in, 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 while Jesus was walking this earth. He will be raised up on the last day. The summary that Paul gives us in verse 49. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We will bear the image of Christ. Go to Romans chapter 8. It's so awesome. It, you know, we are joint heirs with Jesus. Uh, starts off with there's no condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, but that picture, we're joint heirs with Jesus. He, is, he shares His inheritance with us. We are like Him. We will be like Him. When we see Him face to face, we'll know Him as He is. All of the verses that we've, we cherish in that sense come to, to play here. We shall bear His image. The man of heaven. 
Well, again, this is true for all who rest in the Gospel. That's why he started with the Gospel part here and dealt with that. For all of us who rest, and it's not just the death and burial resurrection, of, uh, it's the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was buried, He was raised. And now we will be buried and we will be raised. And we can rest with absolute confidence. It is a fact that Jesus Christ was raised. Paul emphasizes that so much. And it will be for us too. Jesus has given us the symbol in communion. And I know I've shared this frequently. But when He talked about communion, uh, well... Let me, uh, in 1 Corinthians, since we're there, chapter 11. He says, Do this in remembrance of Me. I'm not going to go through the whole part of communion uh, in reference to the bread and the cup. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you Eat this bread and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Even tied to communion as we celebrate communion every Sunday together, we are celebrating the reality that He is coming again. And by celebrating communion, we are partaking in faith what we believe. The death, burial, and resurrection is a reality. We share in the bread that reminds us Christ emptied Himself, according to Philippians chapter 2, and became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning, according to John chapter 1, He was with God. He was God. In the beginning, the Word was with God. The Word was God. And John also shares in verse 14 of that same chapter, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? So that we could see, hear, and come to know the truth that God has promised. And He was the fulfillment of so many prophecies. Just prophecies that talk about Him being on the cross, being pierced, His feet being, hands being nailed, His feet being nailed thousand years before it happened. God so loves us that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And that's what Paul is basically saying here. As we sing our communion hymn this morning, let's uh, uh, we prepare in our hearts for communion and all. Uh, we can uh, we're not passing the communion trays. Uh, still have ever since COVID we've not done that, and uh, so I'll uncover them up here, and you're invited to come up and pick up uh, the communion. And uh, when you return to your seat, hold it until we've all been served. 
and then we'll share it together.
the Gospel of Luke. The institution of the Lord's Supper on the day, the Friday, the, the day that Jesus was betrayed. Luke records, And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table, and the apostles were with Him. And He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I will tell you, I will not uh, eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. And He took the bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is My body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Let us share the bread. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in My blood. Do this in remembrance of Me. Father, again we come to thank You. Thank You for Your mercy, Your grace. Lord, the undeserved grace that You have poured out on us. In fact, the Scripture uses the word lavished, which means more than enough. We thank You that we can rest with confidence that not only have You forgiven us, but that You will raise us a physical, bodily resurrection. And we will share with You forever in eternity all the glories of heaven. Thank You. Thank You for making us joint heirs with You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close?